Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Sports Drink Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. It's been a while, but we're back. Uh, this is The Bird Calls. I am David Grove, and I'm joined, as usual, by Kevin Berrios and David Fisher, and uh, the editor-in-chief over at thebirdrights.com, Mr. Ali Cosell. Gentlemen, we reconvene with the Pelicans 4-3 and three, coming off a road trip where they went 1-2. and two. Um, Before we get into our thoughts on the Pelicans, I just want to get a little something off my chest. Because last night... After the Lakers game, of course, and it was a tough loss. Um, Pelicans Nation or the, the the Pels 12 or however we want to refer to the fan base at any time uh, is was strongly divided on the performance. And I am of the mindset and our job, uh, relatively speaking, as a group is to be analytical about the Pelicans, to talk, to give fans our perspective on what is happening um, both on the court and with the team in general, the moves it makes, all those things. And the problem that I have right now is that the fan base doesn't seem very interested in nuance, in having a, a basketball conversation. With a, There is a large segment, I don't want to put the whole group, but there is a large segment of the Pelicans fan base that just wants to hear good news that just wants to hear unending streams of positivity. Now, seven games into the season, I don't think any of our faith or um, thoughts about this team, the, the optimism that we have about this team has been shaken to its core. But each game in and of itself is a singular event. And by itself, it deserves to be analyzed as such, in my opinion. That you look at that game, you look at what happened over the course of each one of those 48 minutes, and you see how the game was won or lost. Now, there is a larger context in the sense of the season because it is an 82-game season. And there are things that you have to step back and take a, a macro view of. But a game itself has to be analyzed. That's what we do. That's why, that's why we have the time between games to do this, to talk about the individual game. They are not played in aggregate. And I don't think it's unreasonable to ask questions uh, about the team when it performs poorly or beneath our expectations. I don't think it's unfair to question um performance when it you know or coaching I don't think it's unfair to be disappointed in an individual performance and say something is negative in that game 
without it reflecting on the team and your perception of it as a whole. And there are also things that we are supposed to be looking for that establish patterns over the course of a year. Because the same people who will use statistics for one thing will use them for another, and statistics can only be made in aggregate. It takes those that time. But then we have these things at the beginning of the season where we talked about how deep this team is. And I still believe it. We've all said, I think each as, as a group, we've agreed that this is the deepest and most talented team that the Pelicans have had. But you can't have it both ways. They can't be the deepest and most talented team, but then when they lose a game that they should win, you say, well, two starters were out. Two starters were out when you played Dallas and you beat them. Starters were out when you beat the Clippers by 20 points. Starters were out when you when you hung in there with the uh, the Suns. And the Lakers were the very worst team in the NBA coming into that game. The worst offensive team, a pretty good defensive team, but I think that that is a function also of them being playing an incredibly slow pace. But I think it's okay to be critical and disappointed in a singular event and talk about it without being ripped to shreds as being negative about the franchise. Ali, as you know, a the, the other member of the media, per se, in this group, I would like to get your thoughts first on your your feeling of your responsibility as a member of the media and what do you view criticism, what's within the scope of criticism that you think is fair? Well, I think you stated it pretty succinctly. You talk about what you see before your eyes. And you really do, especially early in the season, you have to go game to game basis. You can't say, for instance, go off how well the Pelicans played in preseason, got off that 2-0 start. I know there are some even saying that's the best start, one of the best starts ever in NBA history, right? We had a little bit of laugh about that. But no, to, 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 to your point, you, you, like I said, you've got to analyze everything individually because this team is playing, honestly, for the first time together, especially with Zion Williamson, um, ever. Right. So you expected hiccups and David Griffin, he warned us of this. So I don't understand why criticism would be a negative because the coaches know that this team needs to improve. The players certainly do. Um, and, and we see it. So I think for those that have difficulty in seeing through, um, you know, whether it's talking points or whether it's optimism overall, go and rewatch some stuff, especially when they struggle in games. For instance, I do that all the time, and I rewatch that second quarter from last night's game, and a lot of things will jump up to you because you can stop it, right? You can pause it. You can rewind. You can look at what everybody's doing or what they're not doing, and it'll be glaring, and I'm sure we're going to get into that. But, yeah, David, to your point, there's nothing wrong with taking an analytical approach because, I mean, guess what? That's what the players do. That's what the coaches do. So, yeah, while it's all good to be excited about a team, at the end of the day, I mean, anybody can do that, right? So we're looking for deeper analysis to understand why the team is playing a certain way, whether they're playing well or playing poorly. And Kevin, you know, they go on this road trip. It was a one and two trip. And just focusing on the Lakers game in particular, there's, I don't think that before that game, I don't think there's a person who would have said, even without Brandon Ingram, even without Herb Jones, that they thought the Pelicans were going to lose to the Lakers. 
I don't think there's a single person. I didn't see that sentiment across social media. I didn't see that. The organization certainly didn't by putting out before the game, you know, their little vignette of as the Lakers turn. That was certainly, you know, a feeling that this is a team that can be beat. You don't do that to teams that you respect. So the thought to me was, well, everybody thinks they're going to win. And then when it ended, the excuses began. And I don't think you have to make excuses for a bad performance. You are the, the fan representative most of, of this group. What do you think about the fan base right now and how it's interacting with itself? Well, when the game ended, I I went to sleep. So I, <laughs> and, uh, I, I didn't uh, pay much attention to that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, look, I'm, I'm a fan. I, I used to write a lot. I don't write really anymore. I dug more into like that sort of stuff, but I'm a fan at the base of who I am. And, you know, being a fan is being wildly having wild emotional swings and all of that, you know, it's being, um, irrational sometimes. And it's, uh, being, uh, a cheerleader also. And I, I, I get all of those things. And my whole thing is I never criticize why someone gets joy out of the game. Like if you like the game, because you like uni- the, the way the uniforms look, if you like going to the game, cause you like uh, eating gas station, chicken fingers and watching <laughs> cheerleaders, that's cool. You know, like whatever brings you joy, if you're, if you're really into the numbers and the analytics, all of that, if that brings you joy, awesome. I'm glad you're really excited about that aspect of the team, but I think you have to, at some point, you know, you can't just blindly, uh, you know, I don't believe in blind faith in anything. And so like having blind faith that everything is all right when there's so much evidence. Um, and it's not to say, like you said, that we don't think that the plane is crashing into the mountain or anything, but there were, I mean, that, you know, like that song, 50 ways to lose your lover. There was 50 ways to lose that game that the Pelicans did last night. You could look at like 50 different instances that cost them that game. If they would have just did one of those things right, um, you know, that was a win. And it should have been an easy win, honestly, because, again, like we said, the Lakers are struggling. Um, Anthony Davis looks like a shell, like a supreme shell of himself. Um, It was kind of troubling to see, really, um, how poorly he was moving around. Um, I know he ended up having, like, four blocks in the box score, but it seemed like he had no real impact on defense um, from the eye test. Um, But yeah, it was a game they should have won if they would have just done some things. And a lot of those things that, that would have won them the game are things that we've been talking about as for a long time, Um, rebounding, boxing out um, effort on defense from certain players, certain lineups uh, where you have too small of a backcourt, those sort of things are just, constant problematic issues that if you don't clean up, you're going to lose games you should win. And again, we all feel positive about this team. We see the potential and we think it could be a very special year. That's why we get critical about um, these things that, that are happening that are seem like easy fixes. And it seems like there's enough evidence out there uh, on tape for the team to fix them. Um, so it is kind of frustrating. I mean, you definitely see the big holes like we've been saying forever that they need another rim protecting rebounding center, another guy that sets screens and just does like the dirty work like that. Um, You know, we saw that Jackson Hayes who has driven us crazy for since he's been on the team, just show no signs of development or 
no understanding of the game of basketball come in and just totally tank the second quarter. Um, bad rotations tank in the second quarter. You know, Zion not rebounding like he should be, not not boxing out, uh, blowing the the three on five that was a four point swing. Really could have been a five point swing if they would have kicked it out to the three point line. Um, you know, all of these things not protecting uh, the um, behind the arc, all the shooters behind the arc in the last play of a regulation or not fouling in that situation. All these like little things that led to a loss and. Again, it's an 82-game season, but when you look at the West, it's so tight, and um, every game really counts, so you can't just be giving games away. It's one thing if you get a team playing the best that they play, and they just beat you, punch you in the mouth, all of that. If, if you did everything you had to do right, then you could still feel go good about it, but you can't watch that game and feel like that the Pelicans put out their best effort, even without Brandon Ingram. Surely if they had Brandon Ingram, they would have won that game because they would have corrected a bunch of other things. Uh, but they had every opportunity to win that game and they should have, and they should have like, if they would have, like I said, done like just two or three of the 50 different things they did wrong would have won the game, even though they played one of the worst games they played in a very long time. Yeah. Fish. I, you know, like Kevin said, um, you know, it's it's fine. I, I would never want to piss on a fan's parade and say you shouldn't love your team, that that you shouldn't be optimistic about your team. But this eschewing of a conversation, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it's it's like you can't even have an opinion or discuss it without somebody basically accusing you of hating the team. And it's it's it comes from fan bases. It comes from external parts of the media. And, you know, it's I think it's it's a frustrating thing in, in a lot of regards because it's it, it's getting contentious and it gets personal. And, it, it uh, you know, just in having in attempting to talk basketball and, and you know, for, for you, a person who's also somebody who digs into stats, who looks at the at the game again, who tries to, to to identify things, but you're also an incredibly upbeat person when it comes to this team. You are constantly praising the things that you do like. You're constantly talking about it. But if you make one statement where you say, I didn't like this, not I hate the Pelicans, not this guy should be moved, this guy should be fired. If you just say, I didn't like this, people are saying, you know, will come back at you it from all different corners and basically try to kick you out of the, out of the tribe. Well, I mean, and some of that's just basic, like human tribalism that we're dealing with here. Um, especially, especially, you know, in the times that we live right now, but um, I mean, Pelican's Twitter to a degree has always been like this. Um, and it's, it's, it's gotten better in terms of the fact that I think in general, it's a really positive environment, but at the same time, um, there is, there is a lot of like, you can't criticize the team. Um, I mean, I like, like you mentioned, I am probably one of the most positive people when it comes to how I try to approach my analysis of the team. Um, but I, I said early on, you know, the Pelicans were two and oh, and I said, they haven't even put like an a performance on the floor yet. Mm -hmm. And people came at me like I was insane. And I'm like, I, do you understand what I'm saying? Like the full like scope, you know, of 
The Pelicans are 2-0. and They haven't put what I would consider like an A performance out there because I think that they have they have more, that they can they can play better than this. And there was a group of people who took that as, you know, some big insult. So um, I, I'd like everybody to just try to be better. Um, I don't know if that's completely going to happen. Um, I, I do think, because I saw some, I saw some crazy stuff the other direction as well. Uh, that this is a season derailing loss, which is like, come on, man, it's game seven. <laughs> it's not a, it's not a season de- derailing loss. Um, you know, your response to it possibly could be, um, I will, because I'm the positive person that I am, I will spin it the other way and say, I hope that a loss like this, you know, gets some guys, you know, from stopping to smell the freaking vapors a little bit. And, and buckle down on the stuff that's important. Um, but, I mean, in general, um, I think, and, and you and I went through this a while ago, kind of offline that people haven't seen, but, you know, everybody on this podcast uh, was, uh, I mean, we strongly disagreed against things. We, it was, it was not pretty. And I think um, we've, we've gotten to a point, you and I, mm-hmm. um, where, um, you know, there's, there's there's a different level of respect and a different level of understanding. Um, and sometimes it's just, I, I think, uh, to be a little cliche about it, we kind of turn people into just their little avatars online. And they're not. They're like real people who think these things. They're real people who feel these things. I might disagree, you know, with, with you know, their opinion on this. But I've gone to Mid-City Yacht Club. I have I have shook these people's hands. I, yeah. I have you know, sat down and drank with them. Like they, we all, even like you guys who are media, you know, who are real media, like I'm not, a, I'm not media. I'm just a fan and I get to be on this podcast and I'm blessed with that. Um, but everybody that surrounds the team wants the team to do well. The media wants to do the team to do well, because I mean, who knows what that might turn into for Christian Clark or Andrew Lopez or, or, you know, you or Ali or anything like that. Um, and because it's just, it's funner to cover a team that's winning. Like there's no, like, there's no joy. If you're watching what Nick Friedle is going through in Brooklyn right now, there's no joy in that. Or um, what so, Ollie and I've had to do on many seasons <laughs> where it was over it was like, by Christmas and we're like, yeah, Jesus. Like I mean, so, uh, so what, what I ask is I ask that we can, can, can we keep a little perspective? The Pelicans are four and three which means they're winning, what, like 57% of their games? That puts them on pace to win 47 games. Um, that would be pretty good. And also realize that was a really bad loss. And that was a loss the Pelicans legitimately just handed over. And we're going to, you know, we'll get into the, the details about it. And there are some people who just think the whole loss is on Dyson Daniels, and they're wrong. Um, and I'll tell you they're wrong because the the final score of the game is the – culmination of legitimately like 200 possessions and there were a lot of things that went wrong in those 200 possessions for the pelicans things that things that they can correct that don't involve just put the ball in the basket because i think that that is the most random weird part of it is put the ball in the basket whether it's free throws i mean we we can make an argument you know layups not but I, i digress there um but put put the ball in the basket is the weirdest, most, you know, abstract part of it, the part that is feels the like it's the variable. most difficult. 
it, it feels like it's the most difficult thing to control. You can box out. Mm-hmm. You can box out. You Every single trip, you can box out. You can you can hustle down the court. You cannot give up a layup um, off of a missed basket. You cannot give a transition layup off of a missed basket. Um, so uh, the Pelicans lost that game because they gave it away, because they played poorly, because they played like absolute dog crap um, for about like eight minutes there from the end of the second quarter through about the middle of the third quarter when they finally pulled their heads out of their collective asses. Um, and then promptly reinserted them later. Um, but, I mean, the all that said, I don't mean that as like a disrespect to the Pelicans as players. Like, I understand. I've played the sport. Like, you play like crap sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, like, you're going to lose when you play like crap. The Pelicans were in a position that they could win despite playing like crap. And they they failed to take advantage of that. and it's their fault and it's a bad loss and we should be able to discuss it precisely as it is, which is a bad loss and a loss, you know, a game that the Pelicans should have won. Let's, let's go into it a little bit. Cause you know, when you lose what you're looking, what you you're looking for, I think too, is, you know, like you said, there are a number of factors and you want to see if those factors in the loss have been consistent with things you've seen so far in the seven games. There were some anomalous things. The Pelicans did not play a great first quarter. This season, they have come out and played well in the first quarter. So you could feel a certain sense of lethargy, uh, or lethargy, excuse me, uh, from this team just from the outset. There wasn't a lot of energy. The Lakers were missing shots, but the Pelicans weren't really playing with any pace, any movement. Uh, they weren't decisive early. And I think that by doing that in the first quarter, you end up with a four point first quarter lead when, and we've talked about this before uh, fish. I know you've talked, you've said it and you've tweeted it. When you have a team that is bad, a team that has, does not have a lot of hope or does not have a lot of reason to be confident. You have to jump on them. You have to come out energized. And what was surprising, especially when we're was, talking about, especially when you're talking about the Lakers, because right. I mean, Joel, Joel said it on the on the broadcast, like they're a front running team, like that's right. what they do. And, and the if, thing is, is that if you if you put them in the box early, they're just going to wilt because they're not about it. They're not about that life, man. But the, they got the, to the Lakers around. are not about competing. They got you know, to hang and, around. and clawing back from behind, and you know, you let them off the hook, man. And Ollie, Willie Green at yeah, Ollie, you know they. People, you know, I'm not going to use, um, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll just say this. I'll, they had two days off, two and a half days off. They played a matinee game on Sunday. Unlike most road trips, the third leg of the road trip was in the same city. They didn't have to change hotels. They didn't have to change time zones. They didn't have to get on a plane. They had time to rest. They had time to scout. They had time to anal- practice, analyze film. They had time. Everything that you could have said, it's and it's not your typical road trip. You didn't have just a day between games. You didn't play back-to-backs. You had two and a half days off, and they came out really flat. Were you surprised by that? Yeah, absolutely. This team, um, as we know, is very close, right? The chemistry is outstanding. 
mm-hmm. their connection with the coaching staff and vice versa, probably the closest I've ever seen. And for them to come out and drop a dud when, you know, you get the sense ever since the start of training camp that they are kind of on a mission, right? They tasted that success. Now it's kind of a theme through the preseason was, okay, we tasted it, but we want more. And we saw evidence of that early. But I feel like since the regular season has started, we've slowly seen the performance kind of degrade, right? especially since that Mavericks game for me. I think that's probably been their best all-around game because of the effort they put forth, right? And that's what this team is. We know what they need to do to play to their strengths in order to win games, right? And that's easy, right? You guys, everybody knows this, right? Dominating inside, right? Getting out in transition. Make sure you win the rebounding. And then when you look at just last night, they didn't do any of that. They lost all those key categories to the Lakers. And moreover, they gave a team that can't hit the broadside of a barn with a three-point shot, 20 fast break points, gave them 66 points in the paint. You know, you gave them so much life. When I, when I said I rewatched uh, the second quarter, I couldn't believe um, that the Pelicans were up by, like, say, three, four, five through vast stretches of that quarter. It honestly felt like they should be up 15 or 16. But they made just as many ridiculous mistakes Stemming from a lack of focus, they're trying bounce passes, these ridiculously hard bounce passes between two Lakers when you've got, you know, sharp defensive-minded players like Anthony Davis. You know he's got that reach. He's one of the best guys, big men, steal the ball. They were doing that around LeBron, all sorts of stuff. So the lack of focus to start that game was honestly shocking to me. And I'm not sure what happened, why it happened. Of course, people say that this team was out partying, but we all know this team really doesn't do that right? These guys are very focused. They spend their off time or off hours in the gym, or they're just amongst themselves, right? They play some video games. They just hang out together. So I know certainly that they weren't out at some club late night hours, but yeah, it doesn't explain what went wrong. So it seems to me they were just a little bit lax. You know, I don't know how many days they were on the road, um, but they didn't come in with the focus that was required and hopefully they'll learn from it, right? That's the biggest thing. And I, I love that Willie Green didn't try and cover it up. He basically said they played poorly. They didn't play to their strengths, that there were a lot of mistakes made, especially by the young guys, but that they'll learn from it and that, that hopefully they'll use as motivation, right, moving forward. Yeah, and, and Kevin, we could talk about a lot of different areas. I mean, you know, like Ali, you start with points in the paint. Jonas had a terrible game. I don't put it all on Jonas because I would say the guards had a terrible game in getting him the ball in positions where he could score. Um, you, you look at a lot of the guys, you know, you, you have a team that in, in CJ McCollum, who CJ has done a fantastic job in some areas, you know, as far as averaging a career high in assists, he's, he's provided some steadiness, certainly, you know, as, as the mature veteran of this group, but we can't lie and say that his shooting has not been disappointing so far this season, that his, particularly from distance, you know, he was 11 of 28 last night. He has not had consecutive games where he shot at least 40% from three. And his three-point shooting is, is pretty low right now. I mean, like, it was – it. there's no one player or one play that you could blame. It was a systemic breakdown. Yeah, definitely. I would also say one of the things, if you look at like what Ollie was just saying about these games since the Dallas game, one the common thread in that is that not only is Braden Ingram not playing, he's not around because mm-hmm. he wasn't able to make the flight. And I think that was huge because he is that guy that is the leader of this team that demands accountability 
Um, I think he would be on some of these guys about the effort that they were putting out, about not boxing out, about not doing the things that they needed to do to win the game and have them coming out with more energy. Just his presence not being around the team, I think definitely has affected them over the last few games. And again, like I'm not worried about the future of this team. It was just a usually disappointing loss. And there are so many things that you could look at. And also just because it's the Lakers and you hate them so much, and you also have the uh, pick swap with them. So you want everything bad to happen to them and you just let them off the hook there. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's so many things you can look at. Uh, again, I'm not too worried about CJ because we have years of CJ being an incredible shooter and scorer. And even when he's not hitting jump shots, he still has great footwork and still gets to the mid range, still gets to the basket. I mean, he had his probably worst game last mm-hmm. night that he's had in a while since maybe the Sun series where he also struggled in that game. But, um, you know, in, in that series, but, uh, and again, like you said, Jonas, he can only do so much because he's a guy that can't create for himself. And if the guards aren't setting him up, he becomes ineffective offensively. But I mean, the one thing he was doing was rebounding. And that was, to me, was the biggest problem we had all night was just not being able to, I mean, we gave up two offensive rebounds on missed free throws and crucial points of the game. Um, so that's just uh-huh. like unacceptable and um, you clean those things up and those are purely like, as Fish said those are purely effort things um, you know you don't need to have skill to put your body on somebody and it's not just Jackson Hayes although he's a great poster boy for not being able to box out I mean Zion he has this incredibly massive strong body and he's not using it to to get rebounds his, his rebound rate um, is has been very troublesome so far this season. Um, you want to see that effort coming from him. Uh, and then, you know, I, you know, we have always said we need another big man and I'd like to see them give Willie a, uh, a little more run because he, um, you know, that's something that he does. Is he, re- he will at least rebound. But, yeah. Willie will rebound. Yeah, Her- Hernan Gomez owns the glass. He, he's limited in a lot of the things that he can do, but there's one thing that he can do for sure, and that's get rebounds. And um, so I'd like to see him get more minutes. I would love to have to never see Jackson Hayes ever again in my life. Um, but, you know, they seem to be stuck on thinking that he's either going to show some sort of potential or that he's going to, like, garner some trade value, which isn't going to happen. I mean, we've seen enough already, haven't we? I mean, uh, he just has no understanding or feel for the game. Um, like, I said on Twitter many times, he is fast food. You either have to be a child or drunk to really love him. You know, um, it, it's just, it's, I was at, um, I was at the Dallas game and there was like this eight year old behind me. And every time you he could see Jackson Hayes and be like, Oh, there's Jackson Hayes. There's Jackson Hayes. And I'm just like, I can't believe somebody really is this much of a fan of Jackson Hayes. But again, it was a child. And I can understand why why children like him because he has those high flying plays here and there, but he's not a winning basketball player. I don't even know if he's an NBA player. Um, he may be down the road, but he's way behind what JaVale McGee was when JaVale McGee was the clown of the NBA, you know? So it's, and then also you look at the off court issues stuff. So it's just like, I don't know why I have to see this guy. Um, but that's the biggest need uh, rebounding, I think, because again, rebounding sets a tone, it's effort, and this team is supposed to be like sort of that, we 
workhorse, uh, tough, gritty team, you know, with uh, Willie Green inspires and his guys. And so to see a night like last night where guys just aren't putting in the effort defensively and on the glass, it was just uh, pretty frustrating. But again, it's just one game. And unfortunately, it's a game that is kind of like a double loss because it's against the Lakers with all of that means emotionally, plus also what it means in terms of pick swaps and things like that. Um, and being a Western conference opponent also in a game that should have been easily won is just uh, tr troubling, you know, but I think they'll clean it up. And especially once Brandon's back around the team, because he is clearly the voice of the franchise and the heart of the franchise. And I think he'll clean some of that stuff up just by being around, just not even playing. Yeah, we'll definitely address that because I think we do need to talk about it. again. I think this this you're right, and I said it last night. I think this this highlights if, if you don't if you don't think Brandon Ingram is the one for this team, then you're not paying attention because it's clear. You know, like it's it is clear. Like you said, it's not just the 25 points. It's not just the seven assists. It's not just the seven rebounds. It's who he has become. As like you said, the accountability that he holds for himself first and foremost. When he got that message for himself, and that began to translate, and the rest of the guys picked it up. And we've seen moments on the court where Larry Nance has looked at guys, yelled at guys, you know, not in a, in a demeaning way, but hey, you know, like bump the cutter, box out. You can see it. The veteran guys are are doing their job in that regard. But when you have a game last night where Troy Brown Jr. gets double-digit rebounds, where Anthony Davis coming off of a back injury and missing two games and walking and running like he had a literal stick up his you know, ass, it, it, and LeBron James is out there getting double-digit rebounds. Would you, If I told you before the game that if LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook combined for less than 60 points and the Lakers would win that game, you wouldn't believe me, would you, Fish? No, I wouldn't. And I mean, we're not a Lakers broadcast, but Jesus, LeBron looked old last night, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he did. He looked, he looked freaking old last night. I, uh, I think but, AD I, looked older. Like AD looked so old out there. It's crazy. AD, it's he's too heavy. Yeah. He's just too heavy. He's not, he's not built for that weight. Um, but I mean, what I want to focus on in terms of like the, to me, it starts with the rebounding and the physicality mm -hmm. and the, and the set and, and the tone setting and the Pelicans are still, um, I don't have the numbers right in front of me at the moment, uh, but they're still, you know, a top five offensive rebounding team. They have rebounded on the defensive glass poorly the past couple games, which mm -hmm. not coincidentally has led to the losses. Um, mm -hmm. and as some, some of that is the fact that, you know, the Pelicans are smartly, and this was something that grew up, both you and I were hoping for, um, they have smartly kept Jonas's minutes down, but they haven't, you know, the, the rest of the roster hasn't stepped up on the glass. Um, that's not something that I blame, um, say like Larry Nance for, even though we know like he's, he's not somebody that controls the glass like Jonas does. But when you decide to play small with Larry at the five, and then you also decide to play small in the backcourt with, mm -hmm. with, you know, 
not just one small guard, but two small guards. And both of those guards are not somebody like Jose Alvarado, who's willing and able to put his nose in there and get dirty as much. And not to say that, you know, TJ doesn't do that. Devontae doesn't do that. I'm just saying Jose does it at a substantially higher level than those guys do. When you look at that, um, you're going to have issues because what, what the Pelicans need to do when they go small, when they go to these lineups where they're going to have Larry Nance and maybe Larry Nance and Zion out there, um, they need to gang rebound. And the way you're going to do it is everyone has to chip in. And that's not what the Pelicans are getting. They're not getting it specifically from the backcourt. Um, hey, Fish, you know who's a good rebounder? Dyson Daniels. Fish? Fish? Oh, no. I was going to have him take off on that note. I think he yeah. would have killed him. Here that, he comes. He's know? coming back. So, <laughs> Hold on, wait. That, can you guys hear me again? Yes, Fish. So yeah. Ollie said, you know, you know who's a good rebounder? Dyson Daniels. So the reason that D- Dyson wasn't out there just for defensive purposes, he was shooting those free throws because he went in there and he got the dang rebound. Mm-hmm. You don't get a stop unless you get the rebound. Yes, it is very unfortunate that he missed the free throws. He's 19 years old. He's not necessarily a great shooter. These are all things that we're hoping improve. Um, but the most primary thing that he did was get the freaking rebound so that the Lakers didn't get another shot you know, that trip. And we can, I mean, he missed two free throws. It's bad. It's really bad. Um, I've seen number 11 for the Pelicans make awesome plays defensively and then go to the line in crunch time and miss free throws. I, I saw that for like seven years. I'm, I'm used to it. I loved that guy that did that. His name was Drew Holiday. For those of you who were, you know, new to rooting for the Pelicans. He did that all the time. It was it was essentially like a joke. He was going to do that or he was going to dribble off his foot. Um, th- those were things that we got from Drew Holiday in crunch time. And, you know, he exercised those demons. He's a champion. And you watch some Milwaukee Bucks games and he's still doing those same things. Uh, Dyson Daniels is 19 years old. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give him a little bit more grace. And, l- um, and let's, on- be, let's be honest about Dyson, too. You know how many free throws he's had in the NBA? He's only played in three games. Got four mm-hmm. free throw attempts, mm-hmm. and two yeah. of those came in the most pressure filled situation of his young career on the so road I'm, to seal the game. And like the thing is, is that if you say, "Well, Dyson lost us that game," well, he made two threes. You know, and he's three he had four, like, <laughs> three for four for three this season. Yeah, he he made two yeah, threes that, in that talk game. Talk about the defense, the steals of LeBron, yeah. the smart passing. He keeps the ball and the offense rhythmic. I'm glad that we're going to talk about Dyson and we're going to be positive now. So one of the most <laughs> impressive plays for me, for Dyson, is an entry pass last night. The ball was up. I don't know if it was Trey or Najee who had the ball at the top of the key. And Zion had a mismatch on the left block. The ball went to Dyson and he was immediate and accurate with an with a entry pass to Zion understanding who had the mismatch, getting the ball there on time, on target, and then Zion went to the free throw line, like right after it, because I, I don't know if it was it was Matt Ryan or whoever, Reeves, or it was an obvious and glaring mismatch. But it's stuff like that that jumps out to me. It's mm-hmm. not, 
I mean, I, I love the fact that he checked into the game and he immediately, you know, Zion's on the other block. He's on the right block. He gets a post up. He kicks it out. Absolutely no hesitation. Catch, shoot, buries it. Form looks good. You know, the speed of the release looks a lot better than any of the tape we were seeing, you know, of him in G League. So you can see the development there. Um, but that, like, seeing the mess- mismatch, getting the ball in to your big man right away, that's the kind of stuff. And not just, you know, the stealing of LeBron and stuff like that. If you watch him when he's defending off the ball and where he's putting himself and the fact that he is doing things like tag rollers, that he does crash the glass, that is the stuff that that makes me so excited about it. And I think yeah, Fish, and what I about, worry. What about on – I'm sorry. I just got to mention on the ball. He gets in front of every single person that attempts to drive. Every single person. It's amazing. Yes. Yes. Uh, I mean, he has tremendous feet. He finds a way – um, he's not really reachy, but it seems like every single time he's reaching, he's getting ball and he's getting ball in a way, you know, that's effective. Like he's played essentially a game's worth of minutes. Okay. He's yeah. played 41 minutes over three games. And in those 41 minutes, he's got 19 points, eight boards, six assists, three steals, two blocks, only two turnovers. He's only committed four fouls. His true shooting percentage is 745. You know, like anybody who's complaining about Dyson Daniel minutes and saying that he needs to sit for a while and learn, what does he need to learn right now? That he, he needs can't, to get out there and play. <laughs> like, like give, him, what, give him minutes. <laughs> dude is shooting 63% from the field overall. He's shooting 75% from three. The one thing you're complaining about is that he missed two free throws in, like, again, in the most pressure-filled situation of his young career, but he's done everything you've asked of him on the court. He has helped change, and Jose did it as well last night, helped change the course of the game because of their activity, their ball pressure, like you said, the, their ability to, to get in, in, in and be active in the lanes, in passing lanes, his rebounding, he finishes in transition, um, he and Jose, I thought last night, both deserved and earned more minutes than they got. And we need to talk about Jose, who had steals, who had who finished shots. And in the end of the game, which I was surprised of, if you want to look as we look at those final five minutes before Devontae gets, I mean, before um, Dyson Daniels gets in for those last 90 seconds, it was Devontae Graham out there with CJ McCollum, not Jose, not Dyson Daniels. And I thought that that, again, with the rebounding, that was the problem all night. I just thought that was a mistake. Anybody? Kevin, you, Kevin, you want to jump in? Sure. Yeah, I mean, we've all said that this, the, you can't play him with CJ. Uh, so it's, it's very frustrating that they keep doing that. And, you know, I feel like Devontae's played a lot better than he did last year. Um, his three-point shooting is really high right now. I mean, he's taking a lot less. We had this discussion off air a little while ago. His two-point percentage is dreadful. Um, but he's, I think he's more active defensively, at least to the eye test, it feels that way. Um, but still, like, you have better options. And it's kind of a disservice to 
your team, it's a disservice to Devonte because it makes everybody frustrated and mad with him, <laughs> you know, and it's not his fault that there's better players on his team than, than he is, but there are better players and better fits for what this team needs. And it's frustrating when you see guys like Jose and Dyson come in and you can feel their impact right away, especially with Jose, just because he's so energetic. Um, and now he's become a great offensive player as well. I mean, he was always a, a, a pesky defender, a really hard worker, a, a pretty creative passer, you know, and he can, he can run the point uh, for you. He can manage that for a while. He's great, obviously great with the steals. He's handsy. He's tough takes charges, all that stuff. But he's now developed this floater game and his shot looks great. He's been knocking down shots. So it's, you know, people say, oh, it's, it's you know, you can't look at it like 2K because these are people. And uh, how do you gonna keep Graham engaged if you're not giving him minutes and he's a person too. But like at the same time, how do you keep Jose and Dyson engaged when they, and when everybody on the team can see that they are more impactful in their role than this one player is and I I hate talking bad about Devontae because I like Devontae and I think he's a he's a NBA player for sure a rotational NBA player but the positions that he gets put in with us because he's always paired with a smaller guard um, and also just because we have guys that do more at that role than he can do um, it makes you frustrated with his minutes and I think it's unfair to everybody um, so hopefully that's something that gets sorted out, whether it's moving on from him or just, you know, sitting him down and letting the guys that are impacting the game in multiple ways. And that's the thing. There's like these other guys too. I mean, Jose is small, um, but he can do a lot of things. But then you talk about guys like Dyson and Herb and Trey and Najee who can play in the, in the backcourt. Um, they, are multiple players they can guard multiple positions um they can do a lot more things you know help with the gang rebounding as fish uh laid out earlier um and Devonte can do one thing and that's shoot and he hasn't done it very well for most of his tenure even though his numbers are higher now in the three-point end right now um so i i just don't see why you wouldn't want to have those more flexible people out there because it just creates more havoc for the opposing team's offense and it makes creates like tougher mismatches on the offensive end. If the other team has a two guard that's trying to guard Najee or Trey or Herb with their size, it's like really hard for them to do. So you're limiting what you can do by playing this one guy and it's unfair to everybody. And it's, you know, it's, it's just a, that's a frustrating situation. And, you know, we have seen that his definitely his minutes, you know, towards the end of last season his minutes got cut down big time and his minutes are down from when they were from last year but I think it has to come to a point where you if you really are serious and you really think you have a chance to compete this year that you just have to move on from him whether that means just benching him and break him out in a, a break in, in case of emergency situation where you just have too many injuries or if you can move him for you know just get him off the roster and maybe create a roster spot for you know like a a backup center or something like that something that we desperately need on this team um that's that's what needs to happen yeah i mean you know we can address a couple other positives too before we get into a more difficult conversation 
But Najee Marshall on that road trip the, or the last four games has been a very good player on both ends. Averaging, Fantastic. you know, before, before the last, before last night, he was averaging over almost 18 points a game and shooting a, an incredibly high percentage. He was active on the defense. He's, he's still active on the defensive end. Even, you know, last night wasn't his best game, but he, he was still active on the defensive end. He still, I think Najee during, had, took advantage of the opportunity that he was given as a starter. And I'm not, you know, I would, I'm not saying start him for good. I would, I'm not saying that. But for, again, for those folks who were like, why is Najee getting rotational minutes? I don't know how many better values you can have at his spot, a dude that is basically ninth or 10th, sometimes 11th in your rotation, and you can start him for four games, and he gives you that level of production, and he's shooting a career-high rate from three. And like you said, Jose as well, shooting 42% from three, and that's why the Pelicans are right now one of the, the top, what, top seven or eight three-point shooting teams in the league as far as percentage goes. So, you know, minimizing some of these other guys has worked in getting the production that you say you want from the outside. It's provided that balance for the offense. And I'm I'm excited as hell to see Najee continue to develop because you're paying him under $2 million. And you got a guy who can start games for you for under $2 million? Yeah, give me that. Dolly? Yeah, so, yeah, so let's say that Brandon and Herb, who are both probable to play against the Warriors, come back. So off the bench. I mean, you know, Trey is going to be moved back to the bench. He's a given, right, coming off the bench. Jose Alvarado, we just talked about him. He's a given, as everybody knows. Larry Nance. So now you're up to eight, right? So Najee, he's definitely made his case. We just got done talking about what he's done over the last four games. So that's nine, right? So the tenth is the interesting one. I think we made a pretty good argument as to who I think our tenth would be, and that's Dyson Daniels. So, yeah, this roster is deep. But they haven't been on the same page, which we've kind of alluded to earlier. And that's why, you know, you kind of need your stars back. But to give them time, and I know we're going to get to Zion, so I'm going to save that conversation. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, look, you've gotten more than what you ever expected, even though we knew it was a deep bench. More from them than you ever expected to start the season. I mean, Najee's probably been the most impressive to me out of anybody. We said that Trey is probably likely going to be, you know, in, in, in the talk for like six man of the year, most improved, something like that. Tell you what, Najee's right there for me. Through seven games, he's right there. I know Trey Murphy's skill set has expanded. But Najee, think about where he was at the end of last year compared to where he is now. Huge jump. So that's been a godsend for Willie Green. Yeah, I think with Najee, what you're getting is the aggression, um, unfortunately for Trey, and and I and I think you know you saw last night Trey's three wasn't going down. It goes zero for five from three, but he didn't settle. You know uh, he, he attacked the basket. He got some very strong finishes. And uh, what I'd like to see is you know I, I think the struggle for Trey has been he doesn't know when his shots are coming. You know there are big gaps where he doesn't even touch the ball. And you saw the you watched it, Ollie, right? You watched it twice. There were mm-hmm. several possessions that went by where he never even got to touch the ball. So you have a guy who's a shooter who, who, who and needs to be in a rhythm. Any shooter needs to be in a rhythm. Um, they have not at times, whether by the, the people they've grouped him with or just when he's on the court, people just forget about him. You know, Trey is still, is still showing the skill set. I don't, again, I'm not advocating starting Trey at this point. When we, when we last year, when we said Herb needed to start, we were all certain on that. 
that Herb was emotionally, physically, and talent-wise ready to be a starter and could make that contribution every night. I'm not saying that about Trey, and and I, I don't think you know Willie Green would say he's ready yet. We still see the upside, but if you're gonna have him on the floor and he's you know he's a scorer, there's n- I don't understand through seven games how he does not have a single game yet with double-digit shot attempts. Yeah, he's averaging 33 minutes oh, under 10 field goal attempts a game. That's insane. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, Kevin, do you want to, like, I mean, it just, does that make any sense to you? No, I mean, I agree 100%. I feel like they definitely need to run stuff for him, especially when Brandon's out. Like, what's the point of having Trey out there soaking up so much of Brandon's minutes and not getting in Brandon's shots? Because he's capable of doing that, as we know. I mean, obviously, Brandon's uh, got a lot more in his bag, but is a better outside shooter probably and and also is very athletic can drive can dunk uh can can finish around the rim very well has a good mid-range game uh, is usually longer than anybody who's guarding him so he's able to get buckets easily um i and i do feel like he's definitely been underutilized and he's a good defender he is a good yeah, defender and a rebounder and on the Again. ball he's great off the ball he's still got to learn some rotation but yeah, for the yes. most part, I agree. But I mean, these are the things that come with repetition. And that's why we didn't, you know, that's Herb was there. Jose is, you know, is there defensively. Trey mm-hmm. has the ability and he, we think he can get there. But yeah, that's why he's a reserve. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what you want. But the upside is clearly there. But, and, and again, we can't say, we don't have to go long on this because I know Fish would because we got to get to Zion. But Again, Larry Nance has done his job. He has made open shots when they've been available. He has been, even when put in disadvantageous situations for him, playing against being, having the responsibility of being the big, you know, like Talk against about, teams that hey, have three. All we have to mention, David, this is quick. All we have to mention about Larry is towards the end of the game in regulation last night. Defended LeBron James one-on-one. Yep. Forced him into a tough midi baseline, missed it ran sprinted down the court yep. got the bucket because cj saw him transition bucket that's what larry in a nutshell can do for you man he can do it on both ends and he can flip the momentum just like that and again his oh. his accountability the fact that we it is demonstrative and i'm not saying that makes him better because of that but he is on court holding his teammates accountable for what they're supposed to be doing and if and he is typically the the most veteran guy on the floor when he's in in the game uh, so I, I, you know, also, I, also towards the end of the game, he boxed his band out into the to the uh, yes, pylon. I saw basically. that. You know, like like that. That I can't remember who it was, but he just obliterated him from the field from the court. Just brought him all the way out of bounds. You know, and that's the kind of things that he does. Those effort plays and his passing is great as well. Yeah, um, hey, we gotta let we gotta let. Fish oh, wait, we'll I, I, we, we didn't. We, I mean. Yeah, fish. Go ahead. One of the one of the big things that I noticed last night, um, two things. Number one, um, he's getting his hands on a lot of passes. Like he mm-hmm. he is getting a lot of deflections, a number of steals, creating you know um, transition opportunities for the team. And then the other thing that's been jumping out to me is the fact that he looks healthy, like way healthier than we've seen him mm-hmm. in a long time. The the alley oop that he had, um, was it Dyson that threw it? I can't remember if it was Dyson or if it was Jose that that threw it. But I mean, he got up off the ground 
fast um, to throw that down, and he was up high. Um, and he's he's mentioned on Twitter directly to me that he's finally healthy. That you know mm-hmm. that he's. I was just going. Oh, don't name out. drop. Don't name drop. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that was that was honestly it was because somebody had said like he he's awesome, and of course everyone when he's awesome they tag me, which is fantastic. Um, and, but um, you know he, he said you know he's finally healthy, and um, credit also to the Pelicans. I mean, I mentioned, you know, that they're keeping Jonas's minutes down. They're also keeping Larry's minutes down. We were concerned, you know, that he's going to be ridden too hard, and he's averaging somewhere between, like, 22 and 25 minutes a game. Um, 22 and a half. I, yeah, Nance is at, like, I mean, um, Jonas is at, like, 26. Like, those are sustainable numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, what what the Pelicans need is, like we said, we need, you know, the backcourt, you know, everybody else is on the floor when the Pelicans play small to contribute the gang rebound to make, make a point that we're going to finish possessions. Um, and then just effort and attention to detail. Um, one guy we haven't talked about we that I think deserves at least a small shout out is the fact Jose has proven that the playoffs were not a fluke. We did talk was, about Jose. <laughs> no, like, come on, man. Like Jose has been freaking tremendous. Like, oh, yeah. I, like I need more Jose. I need a lot more Jose. Like yeah, it, Jose's almost yeah. Sorry, twenty one minutes a night right now. I'm, I'm gonna just read some numbers for real quick for folks because this. I think this we did twenty one minutes a night on him. Right. So Jose's getting two point seven deflections per uh, per night, and that's second on the team right now to Najee, um, who you just, we just talked about. Brandon Ingram also 2.7, Larry Nance 2.3, Dyson Daniels 2.0, Herb Jones 2.0. So the guys that you expect are who to get their hands on the ball, getting their hands on the ball. Defensive loose balls recovered. Who's number two on the team? Jose Alvarado, number one, CJ McCollum. Uh, so, you know, you get those kinds of things. Um, the contested shots, even as, as Jose, at his height, he's getting three contested shots a game. You know, so he's jar- he's drawing charges. He's he's doing all those things, and he's shooting a ridiculous percentage. So yeah, he he does need the one thing he's had a problem with this year has been turnovers. He has had I mean, like multiple turnovers in every game. So, but I'm I'm not. I'd have to look a little d- bit deeper. But the numbers have been a little higher with his turnovers this year. But other than that, I ain't complaining about Jose. I just really quickly want to concentrate on his offense. He has developed a bag, right? Mm-hmm. Last game against the Lakers, Spice shows three threes after airballing one. Impressive. But in games previously, what I know that all of us have noticed is his ability to, to drive. And it doesn't matter who's staying between him and the rim. He's, he's going to dance around you and figure out a way to get that layup in, right? Made JaVale McGee unplayable against the Mavericks. And, and he's done that so many times. So I don't think it's a mistake that he's shooting high because when you watch him play, he's got that ability, right? He's got a little Steve Nash to him in the way he probes and he can find that, you know, sliver of a window to get his shot up. But now if that three balls for real, I'm telling you, he needs to be playing like 25 minutes a night minimum. I don't care if everybody's healthy. He's honestly that good. Yeah. Uh, uh, so now we have to, to deal with the elephant in the room and that's Zion Williamson. And, um, you know, Zion played very well against the Clippers. Um, but last night, you know, and, and for this season, Zion is getting more shots than he ever has um, over his brief career. 
uh, but he's shooting a career low percentage. And some of that certainly is to do with rust. Um, but I think we all have our own impressions of other things that he can add to his game uh, to, to help himself. I think the team also needs to do some things to help him out. Uh, but so far, I'm not as worried about the offense. We, that's something that can, can can be done. The two issues that that I think need to be addressed with Zion are the fact that, you know, and I, I, it's undeniable, he's getting fewer rebounds this year than he did in the past. And his rebound rate, like Kevin said earlier, is really poor. The people that he's getting fewer rebounds then, you know, you give that list of names and it's really bad. When Zion is getting less, fewer rebounds than Steph Curry, when Zion is getting fewer rebounds by a good margin, he's almost two rebounds behind Josh Hart. He's getting fewer rebounds than Isaiah Hartenstein, who's playing 11 fewer minutes than him. He's getting fewer rebounds than Michael Porter Jr., who lives on the perimeter and has had two back surgeries in the past three years. It's Last night he had five boards in 30 minutes. He had as many fouls as he had boards. He's got to rebound more. And, and, and I don't say that just because it should be a statistical thing. This offense is better when he is grabbing defensive rebounds and turning those into offense. This team needs him to rebound in general. And he it's part of your defensive responsibility to close out possessions. And you're not seeing the technical part of rebounding from him. Defensively, the other part, he's not contesting shots at a high rate. And when he is contesting shots, he's moving very slowly or not at all. And it's it's out of all the players in the front court who has the lowest amount of contested shots. It's Zion, the lowest amount of reflections in the front court belong to Zion or, I mean, excuse me, Jonas, but Zion of the other, of that group, that's a little bit more versatile that you would expect to be able to start doing those things to play passing lanes. He's not getting steals. He's not getting out in transition the way that you would have expected. He's not finishing fast breaks the same way. Um, There's still something maybe, I don't know if it's physical, but he's not the 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 exertion doesn't seem there uh kevin i'll let you go first on that yeah i mean i think a lot of it is to do with rust and not playing for a whole year and just getting a feel for the game again and getting into game shape although you know he looks like he's in good shape um and there's probably like physical things that still nag at him as well but yeah there is a lot of effort stuff that you see that just feels flat and the thing is, is like, if you're not going to contribute, if you're not going to be even a slightly below average defender, then you have to be that world beater offensively that you were. And we're seeing the offensive game is not what it was either. Um, I find there's a lot of predictability there. He just, it's like spin left and that's it. You know, um, he's not going up with power. He's trying to finish, finish too much with finesse. I think that's why his, shooting percentages are lower i think also if he went up with power more he would get more calls um and that would also contribute to him being at the line more and more points and all of that um but yeah he has that huge body you know you need to use that to box people out and like you said that's when we're our scariest is when we're on a fast break and you have this huge freak of nature athlete just flying down the towards the other basket, but he can also, ha- he has also has the handle of a guard 
that can create for others while also just destroying anybody that's in front of him. Um, so just by fixing that, even if he doesn't become an, an average defender, um, you know, those are, that's a simple thing that he can fix to become a, an extremely dominant player. Those two things go up with power, add one or two other moves around the rim and actually box out and fight for rebounds. You do that, all the other stuff doesn't matter as much because you're such a dominant force offensively. Obviously, I would love to see him become a better defender. Um, a lot of that has to do with IQ, feel for the game. Um, and I think he can get there. We saw flashes of it here and there. He had an incredible block already this year. Um, but there just needs to be consistency and effort on that end. And I feel like, you know, after having a year off, sometimes it's a matter of where you put your energy. You know, he it, he plays over 30 minutes a game. So he's putting all his energy on the offensive end, especially with Ingram out. You know, he's trying to fill in that void of that other scorer. So he's probably exerting too much on the defensive, I mean, on the offensive end and coasting a little bit on the defensive end. So I want to see when Ingram comes back, if we're still seeing that or not. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, we nobody has ever said over, over his tenure that he's been a great defender in the NBA. So that's definitely always going to be something he needs to work on. Um, and, but like, like we all said, there's easy fixes that can just make him be a little bit more of an effective player just by changing a few little things that are just mainly effort plays. Fish, is it a problem to you that, do, or do you perceive it as a problem that it sometimes appears that Zion's defense is impacted by how well he's, his offensive game is going? Um, it's not surprising, um, but it needs to change. Um, the thing is, is about, like, about Zion, you know, we've seen that we've seen times where, you know, the Pelicans play him either with Larry Nance at the five, or I think there was a stretch sometime in the preseason. Um, maybe it was the Miami game, um, where they, they played him with no big at all. He was, he was the five and it was just like shooters. Um, and the thing is, is that he's tremendous in that situation. Like, but Willie Green's ability to get to that lineup and to play it consistently is not a function as much of the players around Zion as much as is Zion. If you want to, you know, if the Pelicans want to get to, and if Zion wants to play, you know, Zion at the five fun time, then Zion needs to find a way to contribute big time on the defensive glass and make it sustainable. And so it's up to Zion if that's going to happen. It's not up, you know, because th there's there's limitations on how much rebounding you're going to get if you're if you're saying we're going to play small and we're going to put a whole bunch of shooters around Zion. Um, there's going to be limitations rebounding wise, and it's up to Zion to make that happen. And it's going to be up to Zion um, defensively to make that happen. And it's going to be, you know, if, if he makes it happen, if, you know, he can contribute on the defensive glass the way he needs to, and the Pelicans can go to that lineup more often. If all of that happens, then I, it, it opens the door for him to put up those big numbers and more highlights and stuff like that. But ultimately 
his ability to get to that, Willie Green's ability to get those lineups is a function of what Zion's going to give you on the defensive left and how sustainable he can make those lineups. Um, I, I hope somebody either in his camp or on the coaching staff or something is telling him that's, that's the key to unlocking that lineup. Um, I mean, these are the Ollie, things we need a, from you. Ollie, you spent a lot of time yeah, watching it and, 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 uh, you know, positioning his stance, you know, what are you, what are you seeing out of Zion defensively? Okay. Yeah. I've got a lot to talk about, but I'm going to condense it big time. <laughs> With Zion, first thing I'm going to say, first and foremost, I'm giving him at least a quarter of the season almost as a pass. We knew he wasn't a good defender, a good rebounder before he took off 17 months of not playing competitive NBA basketball. Mm -hmm. So coming back, you just have to allow for it. It's just that simple. And you see that he's out there not knowing how and when to react in a lot of situations. So it's not always just an effort thing or a focus thing. You have to let the kid basically play through it, right? And David Griffin, i got to mention again, he warned us of it. So even though we were all wowed by some of his preseason games, that first game against Brooklyn, um, whatever other highlights that happened real early, they were hidden, right? Looking back on it now, they were definitely hidden because there's a lot more improvement that he definitely needs to make before even people start considering him the number one option on this team. So with Zion, I'm going to point out two plays, and I'm not even going to talk about his offense, but defensively, it was during that second quarter, where it just shows that he's just really not into it like he should be, not showing that urgency. So with, I want to say about two minutes left in the second quarter, the Lakers have a fast break, right? And so obviously everybody's got to get back. And Zion just kind of watched LeBron James go by him to where it put the Pelicans into a four-on-three. So by the time you know, the play developed, Najee has a choice, guard either AD under the rim or Russ cutting to the rim. Well, he put his body on, and the AD did a great job. Meanwhile, Zion's is still jogging all the way up. Russ sprints, gets an easy cut layup. Zion never really increased his gear, right? He never noticed it or just didn't care. I don't know what went through his head, but he didn't react at all appropriately because it was his job to get back to make it a four on four. And then on the very last play of the uh, first half, um, Right when the Pels, uh, what was it? Yeah, they were in the middle of that that terrible run by the Lakers, watching them just score easy bucket after easy bucket. Well, that last play, Russ had a drive. Um, when he drove in the lane, all five Pelicans crashed in on. So that was, you know, a problem from a defensive uh, standpoint by the entire team. Not everybody needs to be collapsing on one guy where everybody put, basically puts a foot in the lane. But either way, um, Russ kicks it out. And so CJ was the first to react to the kick out to the left wing to where he scrambled out to Zion's man to contest the shot. Zion's kind of just standing on, on, on the elbow, just kind of watching the action unfold. So was, as soon as that Laker, I think it was Troy Brown, caught it, he quickly then swung it to Lonnie Walker in the corner. Well, that should have been Zion's rotation, but he was the third guy to arrive there. And by arrive, I mean, I think he took two steps towards it because CJ reacted quicker by jumping off of Troy Brown to get to Lonnie and then Najee who was basically underneath the rim, kind of in a dunker spot, made it out there before Zion, too. So that, in a nutshell, tells me Zion's just not up to game speed. And to his credit, we all know this, right? Been watching NBA forever, that the, the pace of the NBA, the speed of the game is just so quick, right? You can't, you don't have time to think. You got to be able to react. So I think with Zion, it's a combination of things. It's probably just getting acclimated, right? Keeping his wind 
he's probably going to be a guy that can't go full speed right for 30, 35 minutes in the game. So he's got to learn to be selective. But also, I just don't think he's aware. I don't think he knows what he should be doing half the time defensively. Because to your point, David, the positioning, it's not there. You see it with rebounding, um, mm-hmm. with rotations. He's on the wrong side of certain guys. I mean, it's a lot of stuff that we kind of nag Jackson Hayes for over the last few years. But, you know, Zion's doing it too. His closeouts are still a problem. So, honestly, there's a lot of problems across the board with him defensively. And, you know, that, that's going to take time, but it has to improve, like you guys just said. How long it'll take, I don't know. But I think that's one key reason why all this talk of maybe moving Trey Murphy into the starting lineup for Herb Jones, you guys can't be seriously considering it when you see all the problems defensively that Zion's having right now. And if you've got CJ out there and you know Jonas, he's good at what he can do, but he's limited ability-wise because he doesn't have that fuzzer. You need a guy like Herb. So, yeah, Zion, we love him. He puts up the numbers. I mean, he almost had a triple-double against the Clippers, and he's front making front um, news on whether it's you know an article by ESPN or on their NBA Today show because of all the highlights. But he's nowhere close to being the player that I think he wants to be, that obviously the coaching staff wants to be, and the the guy the Pelicans need him to be. I think the yeah, other part... Just... Oh, Sorry, go ahead, Kevin. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, one thing that you could also see clearly is that he's not respected as a defender by the other team. Like, I, I said it in the chat last night when we were watching the game. Like, anytime LeBron was matched up on him, it gave me, like, flashbacks. You could see LeBron's face and the way he was dribbling and, and, and everything to, to break Zion down. It was very reminiscent of that one game where uh, we just put Luke Babbitt on uh, LeBron. And it, it, he just had the same exact vibes, the same exact, like, facial expressions, the same exact, like, I'm just going to play with you for a little bit with my dribble, and then I'm going to blow past you. I mean, obviously, LeBron's one of the greatest players of all time, so he can do that to anybody. But it just showed, like, it just flashed me back to that moment of where it was like almost like LeBron was almost like it's disrespectful but that, that you're going to try to guard me with this guy um and so um you know it just kind of shows the the growth that he needs to make but I do agree with Ollie like I'm not overly concerned I'm going to wait several games for him to get his footing back because he's missed so much time even when he was here last time he missed so much time so there's just so much time of his career that he's missed and hasn't been able to develop and grow on that end. And the only way you can learn how to play defense is by playing. So um, I'm hoping that uh, he comes around, but it is something that we obviously all need to keep an eye on. Yeah. The main thing for me is if he's going to fail, at least fail at full speed. You know what I'm saying? Like if you're going to make mistakes, make them at full speed. And, and that's yeah, and instances where that full speed's required, right? David? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, if you're if you if you if you got to close out and the guy's going to score on you, but at least make the close out. And, and you know what I mean? If you're going to not get the rebound, at least hustle for it. You know, fight for it. Try to get there. And there are times where he he was flat-footed. And there are times when you see him when he was defending and and the the thing when he was a rookie in his, his first and second year, you know, we said Zion was a better on-ball defender. Teresa Witherspoon said it that she believes, mm-hmm. you know, that he is a better on-ball defender than he is a team defender at this stage. Um, but there were times last night when even as an all-ball, on-ball defender, he was not on the balls of his feet. He was on his heels and he was flat-footed. And so, yeah, it's, I think some of it is fatigue because you're, you know, you're getting your conditioning of being in the NBA again. 
back. Some of it is lack of reps, which is, is extremely important because, you know, I've, I've said this many, many times. Where the hell do you think Zion would have learned how to play defense? Not in high school, not in college. The Duke tape is is like, don't don't ever show me the Duke tape. I, I, I was not a fan of the Duke tape from beginning, his defense, because I, I don't think you can take a lot from one year because it's again, I don't think it's a mistake that the guys who are the best defenders on this team are guys who got a lot of college reps in one way or another, or had professional experience coming in like Dyson and, and international experience that that, you know, her being an eight, uh, sec defensive player of the year over four years, uh, Jose over four, and, uh, you know, getting those reps, Jose being an ACC defensive player of the year, Trey going to Virginia and, and to get his finishing school in defense you know, uh, Najee playing four years, getting those reps in. And they also have beyond that, the, the reps, they have the energy. They provide you with that energy defensively. Zion didn't get the reps. So in the meantime, I at least need the energy. And that can't be inconsistent because the only way this team gets deep in the playoffs is if they are a very good defensive team. And that requires that from Zion Williamson, who's going to be on the court for 34 minutes a night. Um, I think I think um, at this stage now, look, at this, uh, again, we want to reemphasize it. I would close it this way. The sky is not falling. The sky is not falling. We have not given up on the New Orleans Pelicans. We are not mad at the New Orleans Pelicans. We, tomorrow is another opportunity. And you get a three and five Warriors team. And this is another test, really. Because you get a Warriors team that is struggling with its confidence, that is struggling with its identity, that you have Klay Thompson, you have Draymond Green being questioned around the league as to whether or not they are effective anymore. And you have a bench that is, seems in conflict, and the young players there haven't grown as much as they would like. So you have an opportunity to prove something, even if B.I. And, and her, for some reason, though they're listed as probable, if they have to sit out one more game or if one of them does, this is a game, an opportunity to come back from this trip and set it right, you know, get back on the good side of things and maybe build some momentum knowing that you have a couple of really long home stands coming up. And, and while road losses are difficult and the Pelicans have started the season on the road, I think guys, I want to get your thoughts on this. The Pelicans, the bigger thing we've always thought about is the Pelicans have to establish themselves at home. And they're one and one at home right now. They can, you know, get above 500 with this one. And then you have a six-game homestand and another four-game homestand in, in very quick succession. This is an important time for them. This is this is where this is where I think over the next over the next month is where I think the Pelicans essentially are going to establish. My hope is as the optimist. This is where they're going to establish, you know, who they are. Um, they're really going to get the crowd and the team uh, and the city behind them. And I, looking at the schedule, um, it's it's where I think the Pelicans, in a general sense, should be able to make some hay, get themselves, you know, a couple, a handful of games over 500, and really start to feel good about themselves and 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 where they're going for the rest of the season. Kevin. Sorry, yeah. I was on mute. Um, yeah, sorry. 
yeah, I mean, I, I think it's very important for them. Like you said, you know, we need some five team winning streaks here. And I think this is, they have an opportunity to do that. Unfortunately, like the game tomorrow, you're going up against a very veteran team, even though they have a lot of young players who's also struggling and has something to prove now. Um, so they're going to, you're probably going to get their best effort on the road, even though are they're on a back-to-back, right? Um, are they on a back-to-back? They play in the night? Yes, they lost to Orlando. Yes. Oh, they, yeah. So they're coming off a loss to Orlando. So they they're three and six there, now. Then they're zero and five so, on the road. <laughs> yeah. So they're gonna. You're gonna probably get their best effort. Um. And so you definitely want to set the tone and win that one. And, and you know, go on that streak. We've been waiting so long to have that streak. You know, it feels like we haven't had a real winning streak since. You know. Nikola Miritich was shooting threes. You have it. it you know, it ain't feel. Yeah. I'll yeah. remind you. So, you know I know. Yeah, right. I um, know. I was already so laughing to myself. I knew Grub was going to say something. <laughs> yeah, it's, but it's very important to establish that, to have that that going, to have that trend, and if, especially if you want to be uh, one of those teams that's not fighting for a play, and you need streaks, you know? You need long runs of, of wins and sustained success, and hopefully – Brandon and Herb uh, can play tomorrow, or but at least having them having Brandon on the bench is going to be a huge lift to begin with. Uh, but having him on the court will be crucial because of all that he does on the court as well. Um, hopefully, you know this loss was a bit of a, a humbling situation for the team, and they come out way more motivated and fired up. Hopefully, Willie Green is. Uh, having to ask himself some tough questions and make some tough choices based off of what he saw um, and sort of sorts out some of these lineup issues that he's had. Um, I mean, I'm not down on Willie Green as a coach. I think he's a great, he's, he's a great hire and he's done a great job, but obviously, you know, I mean, I question things I do every day and the things that I'm uh, a professional at and have my skill sets uh, are applied to. So it's fine to question these things. Um, but, you know, he, there are things that he needs to fix. And there may, a lot of those things are just rotation-based, which should be easy things for him to fix, especially if he's getting two healthy bodies back that are huge contributors. So um, hopefully some of those things sort themselves out and they come out angry and, and disappointed in themselves from what happened last night and uh, start, start that streak off because they do have, they are in great position to make a little bit of a run here. One thing we do know about the Warriors is that, yeah, Andrew Wiggins is going to defend. We know that Draymond Green is going to try to I'm, – I'm sure they're going to switch up defenders on Zion the same way the Lakers did. Because, I mean, the Lakers tried everybody. They they sent Russell Westbrook at, at, and had him guard Zion one-on-one. They had, you know, AD guard him on the perimeter. They had LeBron guard him at times. They, they did pretty much, you know, they kept switching it up. And I would do that too defensively is to keep giving Zion different looks because you're trying to confuse a guy who has not had a whole bunch of game reps. So I think you'll see that again with the Warriors. I think they'll put it. Why wouldn't you put Andrew Wiggins on Zion sometimes if, if B.I. is not on the court, you know, in those situations, you're going to try to do that. Why wouldn't you put Draymond Green over there? Because Draymond's going to try to force him, you know, at least Draymond studied the film and is going to try to do those things, but that's good too. That's good for Zion because if you keep going up against these things, it forces you to adapt and change as a young player. All young players have to learn to break tendency. 
because it, no matter what the sport, you always come in and you rely on the thing you do best. But once people figure that out, you've got to go deeper into the – that's why they have the bag. And so Zion has to get deeper into his bag. Or he's got to do sometimes – he's got to remember the fastest way to get from point A to point B is a straight fucking line. And he's – like, and, and, uh, multiple uh, of you guys have said it. Just go and, and initiate that contact and force the referees to make you call an offensive foul on you because you're picking up the defensive fouls. Make the refs call some offensive fouls on you. Make them do it by going through some people every now and then. And, and I think if he does that, and, and it's about setting that tone early. How, how do they come out early? They've typically been good in every quarter but the second so far this season. But, yeah, they got to come out early, take advantage of a tired, probably Golden State team, and and do what they can. But I expect them to play well. I don't expect the Pelicans to play poorly. I give them the benefit of the doubt every night that I expect them to play well. And I, and, and I would say you guys do too. Especially yeah, with the other thing. I think the other thing too is just like in this matchup specifically – you need to commit to having that length in the backcourt because it's a jump shooting team. So you want to affect their jump shots, but also to get that, that rebounding, the long rebounds, you know, if you have more length in the backcourt, that gets you a way more advantage. I get in those long rebounds and starting the break. So I'm hoping to see no miniature backcourt. And you better dominate points in the paint again, because of it's course. not like there's a ton of length on that golden state team of guys who are going to give you a lot of problems up front. If you can't get in the paint on Clay, who's a step slow right now, um, Steph is not the greatest defender in the world. Kevon Looney down. I, I would be surprised if Clay plays. It's the second night of a back-to-back. They're still trying to kind of work him into it. Mm-hmm. This and he, played, he played 34 minutes tonight. And it's the very end of a road trip. Like, that's like, if you, if you were going to say what game is Clay Thompson probably going to rest, I'll put all those things together. It, it's this one. So, um, but then I mean, the Pelicans run into the to the other side of that sword, which is if the Warriors decide to sit some people in, like we got to get right physically because you know things have not gone well for them. Um, and like you're just like Steph and the kids essentially that you run out with. Um, it's still Steph Curry and the Pelicans the Pelicans are in a position where you don't when you know you're going to be battling and you know, there's like eight teams fighting for six spots. Mm-hmm. You don't have the opportunity to take any victory for granted. You have to go out there and you have to take it. Go take the game. If, you know, if the Warriors are sitting people, if they're, you know, load managing and whatever, go take the game. Go put them out of their misery immediately and early. Just start thinking about the plane plane ride back to San Francisco. That yep. that's that that's what I need because that's what that's what you hope the loss to the Lakers builds is that kind of mentality of understanding the assignment and the assignment tonight. To, well, tomorrow night against a team that's tired, against a team that's been on the lo- road for a long time, against the team you know that's looking you know at the very end of a road trip that's old. Um, you just you just want to put them down and be like, yeah, not tonight. Just just get some more rest. Uh, that that's that's what you need from the Pelicans, and oh, I yeah. think that they have that in the bag. It's just mm-hmm. a matter of, you know, if they're going to deliver it. 
Ali, I'm going to give you the last question. And um, it's kind of just as we've seen the West and the NBA as a whole, um, you know, I think we do have to recalculate the win totals because, you know, my thought at the beginning of the year was that this was going to be a season where nobody's going to run away with anything. There's not going to be a 65, 67 win team. And as we look around right now, there are a couple of teams that stand out. Certainly Phoenix is playing better than we thought, but the rest of the West Everybody's got a problem. And we talked about this beginning of the year. Every team has its flaw. Every team has its fatal flaw. And to me, yeah, like these are the types of games you got to beat the Warriors when they're three and six before they get whatever rhythm they have and they're on their best basketball. This is a game you got to have. You can't give up a, a loss to a three and six team, no matter who it is. I agree. And especially coming off of that loss of the Lakers. Because the Pelicans could have made a heck of a statement. Because besides the Suns, you're right. It's completely wide open. So can you imagine if the Pels beat the Lakers, are 5-2, and two, then knock off the Warriors to move to 6-2? and two? Man, they'd be talking about them on NBA Today show just about every day next week. And that's unfortunate because now that won't happen. But, yeah, you can still, you know, right the ship real quick with that win over the Warriors. And I think this is – I'm with Fish. I think when you look at the schedule over the next five or so weeks, there's a million home games, right? After this Warriors game, I know they go on the road for three games, but then they come back, six-game homestand. And then mm-hmm. there's a couple of two-game homestands, I believe, but then there's also a four-game homestand, right? Mm-hmm. So this this is the time to shine, take opportunity, and especially in the West where things are undecided because the Jazz, we don't know what they are, even though I'm impressed by them. I think they're one of the hardest-playing teams out there right now. I don't have any faith in the Spurs um minnesota honestly doesn't look good i think they're going to hover around 500 the Warriors, yeah you got to expect them to get right i know denver won tonight but you know they struggle with okc they were up 21 to 4 i noticed in that game before uh okc ended up taking the lead later in that game so there's there's a lot of opportunity for the pelicans memphis hasn't been great no no but they've they've been kind of fighting a little bit injuries here and there right don't have jaron jackson baines missed some games and, but again, and if you don't have Bane, boy, all that falls on Moran. All, all of they that, don't have enough I mean, like if we, if we were covering the Memphis Grizzlies, right, and with all their expectations, stuff like that, and I don't care who they're playing. I don't care who's injured. You go out and you lose by 40 points, mm-hmm. 40, 4 zero. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's the one thing. Like if, I mean, we can, we can be accurate about, you know, the Pelicans have given some games away. We can also be accurate about the fact that the Pelicans, lost to Phoenix at Phoenix and Phoenix is playing really, really well because they're a tremendous, you know, regular season team. They're fantastically coached. A whole bunch of guys really understand their role. And then they lost twice in overtime when they had the lead at regulation, you know, at the very end of regulation. And then, you know, stuff went sideways. Um, The Pelicans and in both of those games, the Pelicans were down, um, you know, midway through the second, yeah. you, you know, in the third quarter, and they decided, no, we're not going to give up. Um, and n- not a moral victory, but it says something about the mentality of the team that they're not going to throw in the towel. That that's I don't, not I don't, happen. I don't like to lean I'm on like, those because they used to do that when they no, lost games not, a lot. You know, when they were but, still, they used to play a lot of close games when they would lose forty-seven games in a season. To me, L's are L's. I don't, I don't quantify them. L's are L's. 
but yeah, you look at the individual circumstance of that game. Just look at the total totality of the play, David. Forget the L. I'm with Fish because I agree with the totality of the play. They're a much better team. I'll say that, but I'm not going to go into the individual game because I can. If if you want to do it, then I can nitpick on the other side too. If you want me to play devil's advocate and say, well, you were in Phoenix and they lost DeAndre Ayton in the middle of that game, and you couldn't take advantage of that. You know, or I could say, you know, when you played against, uh, you, you beat up on the Clippers, but then when you got the Lakers, like I said, they weren't fresh, they were injured, they were slow, and you should have won that game. Utah at the time, you, nobody expected Utah to be that. They outplayed you that night with their intensity. They came out and came at you and hit you in the mouth because you weren't expecting it. So, I mean, you could do it both sides. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, but like, I'm not talking about that, though. I'm talking about the totality of play. And if oh, you yeah, totality, really but I'm just saying, yeah, there, like, I'm not going to go into yeah. each individual game and say, well, they not let me back. get my word in, man. Go ahead, Ollie. I'm sorry. But go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just going to say that, like I said, through seven games, count up all the minutes, they've been really good. According yes. to Clean Glass, fourth best offense. Defense, this surprised me, 11th best. You know, so gar- what cleaning glass is, for those that people don't know, it's an advanced stat site that doesn't factor in garbage time, right? So that's impressive to me. So that means when the game's close or, you know, not remotely decided, Pelicans have been really darn good. So that's kind of what, all, all I wanted to say, David. I'm not breaking down games individually. I'm not, I'm not playing devil's advocate like that. No, I mean, we're all, I think, but I mean, I think that's the same. We're, we're, we ended up at the same place we began. We think this is a very talented team. We think this is a very good team. Yeah. We think this is a yeah. team that has great chemistry. We think this is a team that has the components to be a threat in the West. The question is consistency. That's the question. You know, consistency of defense, consistency of offense, those things, maturity, consistency of coaching. All those things will be the test. And Willie Green is in his second year. So, yeah, he's got stuff to learn, too. And that's okay. That's okay. You know what I mean? But at the same time, yeah, you could also – there's it's it's that's why I say there's 75 games left. There's 75. And, and from the beginning, I said the last 20 are the ones you were really looking to. That's the team that you're hoping is the team that you get, is whatever you have at those last 20, because that's leading into the playoffs. You're hoping the team is healthy then. You're hoping they've gone through all their struggles. They've lost the bad games. They've won the good ones, and they're at that point in the last 20. Willie himself is the 10-game section guy. So, yeah, I want to see improvement over the second 10. But where they are now, no, I'm not angry about it. Nobody should be angry about it. But, yeah, but they got to be better. And that I think that will happen. I think the probability is they will get better. But it's, you know, but that's, I think our job here, and, and we've done it pretty well, is lay out what needs to get better. And, and, and some of those things will happen quicker than others. Yep, I'm just going to end it on this. Because, mm-hmm. you know, Preston's going to get mad if we keep talking tonight because he has yeah, to edit this. But, hey, we got to give a shout-out to Preston. He just welcomed his second child in the world at the start of this week. So, yes. congratulations. And he had his birthday. Yeah, that's right. And he had his birthday. That's right. So he has a new son and a birthday. So congratulations to Pete. Yeah, congratulations on being older and having to support another one. <laughs> <laughs> but guys, I mean, I, you know, I'm again, I'm excited for tomorrow. I think it'll be a good game. I think the Pelicans will come out and play hard. I think that they'll have certainly the opportunity to win this. And I expect them to win this. And I think you all do too, right? Yeah, yes. I do. Yeah, I do. I expect them to win this game. And I, and, and, but if they, if, but even if they win, we will still analyze the game 
as fairly as we can, as fairly as we possibly can. Even if they, no matter what, win or lose, we that's our promise. You know, like that's who we're going to be. We're going to be as fair as possible, but we're also going to be as honest as possible. So, um, guys, any final words, Kevin? Uh, not really. Um, All right, then move no. by. <laughs> uh, Fish, final words? I just hope we get more Dyson. That's all. Ollie, final words. Amen. Nah, I'm a second fish. Yeah, let, let's tighten up that guard rotation. That would be my favorite thing. Even though, yes, we're not supposed yeah. to be talking about rotations. Uh, <laughs> enjoy the game tomorrow night. Enjoy being a Pelicans fan. Enjoy this team. But and let's all have, like I said, to everybody who is a Pelicans fan or observer, whatever you are, let's have some civil discussions. And let's respect the fact that people can talk basketball and disagree, and that's fine. But I don't want to fight anybody for the simple fact that I have an opinion. Like, you know what I mean? The, don't let that be the reason we're fighting. Don't let that be the reason we're arguing is that you have an opinion. Make sure it's informed and enjoy the games and have conversations with fans, not arguments. Have conversations. We're building this incredible community of media fans and supporters around the country, around the world. Let's not screw it up. Let's not screw it up before it gets to to where it could be something really awesome and special. Not screw it up by infighting. That's my last word. Guys, on behalf of Kevin Barrios, David Fisher, and Ali Cosell, I am David Grubb. And thank you for listening to The Bird Calls. Check out thebirdrights.com. You can also check me out on Hard in the Paint. And until the next time, in the words of Papa Ellis, let's go Pels. for listening to the bird calls on the armchair all-american network if you like what you're hearing please take a moment to rate us on itunes retweet share with your friends and most importantly subscribe today